Today we're going to be talking about a table that was gifted to our family. We're going to explore this battle of wits between this Gentile Syrophoenician woman and Jesus. We're going to look at the difference between children and dogs. And we're going to finish with a gospel invitation to work on expanding the size of our dining room tables. Metaphorically speaking. Are we ready? Alright, let's pray. God, open up our hearts and minds by the power of your spirit. That as we read your scriptures, as your word is proclaimed, that we would hear with joy what it is you say to us today. Amen. Amen. So about 15 years ago or so, uh, our family moved from Gora to Newbury Park. And so our realtor went to bat for us. We had multiple competing full-price offers on the house we wanted. Um, and she, she did she did right by us, and later we found out why they chose us over other people. And the seller, his name was Don, he was an older gentleman, he was no longer able to live on his own in this house. Um, and so, we got lucky. He was thrilled to have a younger, and yes, 15 years ago, Dustin, I, I know I'm going to get a comment, we were young 15 years ago. I knew it was If you call the young, sure. <laughs> I knew there was going to be a comment. I was trying to head that one off in the past. It didn't work at all. Darn it. So this guy was a woodworker. And he had actually built this really nice table. I think there's a picture of it. Let's see. This guy built this wood table um, that was in the house. And he said that it would really make him happy if we would be willing to keep the table that he built. Right? And he said it would make him happy if he, a family was using this table. So the table, it's simple, it's beautiful, it worked for us, we agree. Um, the other thing to note about this table is the size of the table, right? It's, it's huge. Um, we can easily get 12 people, and I think we've gotten 14 or 15 around that thing, when we had to. It weighs a ton. Um, and the thing about us is, like, we never had a dining room table before, mostly because we've never had a dining room. <laughs> 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 Our places we lived in were, like, previously so small, we had no need for a dining room table. Um, and it's like up to this point in our marriage, we used this little round, you remember this thing? Oh, Katie remembers it. This little round table that I bought for, I think, $18 at the Salvation Army before I went away to college. Um, and we just took a nice tablecloth and draped it over, and nobody ever knew, right? Well, one person knew. <laughs> um, and so we got this opportunity, like we were blown away by the generosity of this guy, and it meant that we should get rid of our <laughs> Salvation Army table. After using it for like 15 years of being married. Um, but we were blown away by this guy's generosity, and it turned out that not only was this an act of generosity, it was actually really a beautiful act of hospitality, because what are tables for? Tables, tables are created. They create space for eating and drinking and hanging out with people. And at first we were like, we looked at this thing, and we're like, what, are, what is a family of four going to do with this table? Like, this is no joke. We had to build this room and add it onto our house just to accommodate the table. <laughs> like, that table cost us, like, 50 grand, right? <laughs> the most expensive table. Um, but what are we going to do with this thing? And, you know, for the first couple of years, we mostly just looked at it. Occasionally, we put stuff on it. Um, but then we started lightshine. And all of a sudden, this table became the centerpiece of our home because it's the location of hospitality. And what we realized is, like, before, like a year before we opened Lightshine, we were filling this thing up on a weekly basis with people in our home. But sometimes we weren't even able to see everyone around this table, and we had to spill out into other parts of the home. 
So the questions that this text raised for me today were these, right? Who has a seat, and this is for me, and you can ask them of yourself. Who has a seat at your family table? Who has a seat at God's table? And how does the mission of God invite us to expand the size of our tables and ultimately expanding the size of our hospitality? These are the questions that were raised when I read this. So here we go, Mark 7, 24 to 37. For there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered the house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came, and she bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the little children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, The Fatah, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. The more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The word of the Lord. So we're going to deal mostly with the first story, because there's so much good stuff in it. We'll tie in the second one with about one sentence. We're going to concentrate on this woman and this unusual parable. So Jesus is on this tour. The tour in Mark began in Jewish territory of Galilee. It now has him in this Gentile city, Tyre, modern-day Lebanon. And so this area has, this is really important context, this area has a long history of antagonism to Israel. Tyre had joined forces with Israel's enemies multiple times. The Jewish historian Josephus actually wrote that the inhabitants of Tyre were notoriously Israel's bitterest enemies. So the first question that we need to ask is, what the heck is Jesus doing in Tyre? Why is he there? Right? This is a really important question. And so there's a really radical shift that's taking place in this story. Jesus was expanding the scope of his ministry beyond anything that would even have been conceivable of the Messiah at that time. When I look at this, I note four things. We're going to see if people come up with more than four. But there's at least four boundaries that Jesus crosses in this passage with this woman. Four boundaries. Boundary crossing, one of the really exceptional biblical themes. Going back to the prophets in the Old Testament, even further back from the prophets, all the way through the New Testament. Anyone want to take a shot at naming the boundaries that Jesus crosses with this woman? I don't mean it in a bad way either. I mean it in a good way. Geographically? Okay, geography. Gender? Boundary number one and Cultural. two. Cultural. Geography and gender. Okay? Ethnicity and religion. 
Okay, so good. He crosses those boundaries. It's boundary crossing that sets the stage for something entirely new to happen. This nameless woman, she's from the wrong place. She's the wrong gender. She's from the wrong people. She worships the wrong God. And yet, she's driven by the fierce love of a mother for her daughter, and she fearlessly approaches Jesus with her request. Jesus may have been entire. This is, this is crazy. This is actually what scholars think, right? I, I, don't, I disagree, but I'm going to say it anyway. Scholars actually think he was entire to get some rest. For real. They're like, he went to a place, and maybe there's something to it. I think there's more intention than that, personally. But scholars are like, you know what? Nobody's supposed to know who he is if he goes to Tyre. He can be totally anonymous and actually get a break with his disciples. But this woman hears that Jesus is there. She shatters his privacy. She falls at his feet, and she begs him, please heal my daughter. Now, this woman, this is fascinating. This woman has more strikes against her than any person that Jesus encounters in the Gospel of Mark. This is really important. The religious leaders of Jesus' day would not have given this woman the time of day. Her credentials were all wrong. But we're going to see, she's got some serious game, this woman. She challenges Jesus to a battle of wits. Gosh, this has got to be the dumbest thing. I'm challenging the Son of God to a battle of wits, right? So, I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of The Princess Bride. Anybody? Yeah. Right. There's such a great scene in The Princess Bride that we're going to watch it, because it's going to help us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's actually going to help us with this in a moment. So, here we go. Am I doing it? I'll do it. You got it. Enemies. 
So if the non-Jews uh, in the parable are the dogs under the table, then the children seated at the table are the Jews. Considered themselves to be the children of God, they were included in the covenant with Abraham, they possessed the Torah. So the issue that's at stake in this passage is really an interesting one. Is Jesus sent to the children or to the dogs? Is Jesus sent to the Jews or to the Gentiles? Which one? And that's the question that they're going to battle over, right? And so this woman's begging Jesus to heal her sick daughter. Jesus' response to her, he says, is that the children, uh, the Israelites, they're, they're to be fed before the dogs. This should have been game over in the battle of wits, right? Jesus should have won right here. Jesus seems to indicate that the timing for her is all wrong. It wasn't her turn yet. So let the little children eat. It establishes the priority of the mission. Children first, dogs later. It's logical. It makes some sense. Most of us would prioritize our children over our dogs. Um, it's also consistent with the prophets, like Isaiah, who said this. He said that the servant of the Lord would first restore the tribes of Jacob, and then later would be a light to the nations. So this priority Children over dogs have been in place for a long, long time. The priority was clear. Jesus was going to go to the people of Israel and then to the other peoples of the world. But something happens in this passage. This woman, she's not even phased by Jesus' insult. It doesn't even bother her. She surprisingly, when I read it, I was surprised by this. She agrees with Jesus. She understands the distinction between children and dogs. She gets it. But the brilliance of her is changing one single solitary word that she repeats back, and she chooses a completely different word, and it's the word for children. She's not only witty, but what Mark is doing in this is this one word carries incredible theological insight as well, because it's going to expand the table to include all kinds of more marginalized people. She said, sir, even the dogs under the table, eat the children's crumbs. Jesus. See, in English, it means this means nothing. In Greek, there's two different words used for children. Jesus uses a word for children that meant biological children only. You know what the word she used meant? When she says it back, her word for children is much more inclusive. Her word not only included biological children, but also would have included all the members of one's household. Including Servants and household pets and, wait for it, perhaps dogs. No joke, I'm not making this stuff up. This is really important. So the question is, how do you win a battle of wits against the Son of God? This is, not, this is the question that just blew my mind, right? Well, evidently you challenge him to live into who he already is. This is what she, this woman is doing. It's exactly what she does. She challenges Jesus to be himself. The woman understands more than Jesus' own disciples, right? She knows that God's mercies extend beyond ethnic Israel to include outsiders, strangers, all other kinds of marginalized and excluded people. She reminds Jesus of the truth that all people can be members of God's extended family. So when I got to this point, I was like, we are in the midst, in my mind, of this beautiful and holy Moment. Something is really changing with this passage. It's like, my mind went to this. It's like, go ahead, Israel, eat all the food you can. Hog it up, 
You can get as, grab as much of Jesus as you want. But what if there's food left over when you're done eating? What if there are leftovers? Who gets to eat those? It's like, this is fascinating. She doesn't even ask for the world. What does she ask for? Anybody remember? One solitary crumb that falls under the table, right? One crumb's worth of Jesus' mercy is more than enough. And she knows this. Of course, she's right. And she's, I love it. She's debunking this myth of scarcity, right? And in the economy of God, there are always leftovers. We spent like most of August in this with Jesus' bread sermons that went on for four weeks or so. Dale did one, I did a bunch. The thing that tied them all together, there were leftovers every single time. There was always more than enough. And so God's mercies never run out. She knows that. And so now we're on to something really big. She could have been angry. She could have been outraged even. Marginalized people, think about this. Marginalized people don't want the crumbs of the privilege. We all know that, right? What do they want? They want a seat at the table. This is what marginalized people want. They don't want our crumbs. They want a seat at the table. This woman is asking for a seat at the table, and Jesus grants it, right? At first, dogs under the table. Now she's welcomed to have a seat at the table because she has a seat at God's table. She understands this, that Jesus' table has now just expanded. Like you take the dining room table, put a new leaf in it, right? This person has just been accommodated. This Gentile pagan woman from the wrong country now has a seat at the table of God. So maybe the question for us is, like when I was looking at this, I'm like, what has she figured out that can help us follow Jesus more closely? And this is what I came to. It's that simple, simple thing. She's learned the lesson that even the tiniest crumb of Jesus is more than enough. One single solitary crumb of Jesus is more than enough for healing and for salvation. She appears to understand the purpose of Israel's Messiah better than Israel does. This, this passage is mind-blowing. She trusts in the sufficiency and the surplus of Jesus when the disciples don't. The people of Israel can eat all they want. They can stuff themselves until they can't take another bite. It doesn't matter. She understands that God's mercies are endless. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. There's always leftovers, and she just blows up this myth of scarcity. And the irony here is that Jesus has been desperately trying to teach this to his own disciples now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they never get it. This woman is the first human in the Gospel of Mark to hear one of Jesus' parables and understand. The first person to hear one of his parables and actually understand what he was trying to say. Notice how he didn't have to say, oh, I pulled him aside and had to tell him again what I really meant, what he usually does in the parables. She gets it. She got it right away. And so within this encounter, she's met the living Lord, and as a suffering mother, she receives the one thing that she wants more than anything else in the world. Her daughter is well. Jesus grants her request. And it's like this story has incredible theological significance to Mark. Jesus is on the move. He's moving deeper and deeper into Gentile territory, into the wrong territory. This woman's actions are going to serve to actually benefit others. The next thing Jesus does in the Decapolis, he heals this hearing and speech-impaired man, right? 
So I want to close with maybe a more practical idea that I believe comes out of this text. Jesus crossed a minimum of four boundaries. A minimum of four boundaries in his encounter with this woman. Geography, gender, ethnicity, and religion. And when Jesus crosses boundaries, effectively Jesus erases boundaries when he crosses them. Right? And so this woman becomes this true, beloved member of God's family. And I mean, Tom, you even mentioned this in your opening remarks about diversity. Like, you look at the current state of affairs, it appears that even the church refuses to cross some of these boundaries. That Jesus crossed, right? Uh, we have trouble encountering and dealing with outsider, the stranger, the soldier. This is, this is hard work, and Christians have done a pretty good job of making sure that some people are not welcomed and seated at the table. And so my big takeaway when I looked at this story was this. I wonder if the story is trying to move Jesus' followers into more than just advocacy. Right? And here's what I mean by that. Advocacy is important. When Christians advocate for excluded people, we speak on their behalf. It's a really good thing. It's important. But here in Mark, the writer of the gospel seems to be inviting us to something that's bigger, deeper than that. It's encounter. Jesus encounters this woman. He doesn't just advocate for her. And when I finished studying the text, what I thought about was Jesus challenging me not just to speak on behalf of excluded people, but also to move towards an encounter with them. I started thinking about how can I do this better? And the image that came to my mind again was the dining room table. What if our dining room tables are supposed to expand to the point where they're the same size as God's table? What if my table is supposed to welcome the same types of excluded people that Jesus' table welcomed? What are our, who, who sits around our tables normally? Family and friends. That's who normally sits around our tables, right? But the gospel moves us out into the world. It challenges us, it stretches us to be conformed a bit more to the image of Christ. And the image of Christ in this passage is the, is the Messiah who goes outward to welcome and give a woman a seat at the table who previously did not have one. And so what boundaries do we need to cross in order to encounter those considered outsiders today in order to invite them to a seat at the table? That would be something to talk about over lunch. And we remember, when we talk about that question, what we remember is that one crumb, one touch of Jesus means healing and salvation. And the crazy thought of this passage when it blows my mind when I think about it. It's one crumb isn't just enough for you. It's not just enough for me, but one crumb of Jesus is enough for the whole world. And I think that's why Mark is pushing these boundaries out uh, to help us think about it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you go far beyond the wildest imaginations of our, of our minds. God, that your welcoming embrace is so incredibly big. The wideness of your mercy is like the wideness of the sea. As God, we ask that you would help us to, to live into this uh, gospel reading that we've had today. Help us to, to reach out. Uh, as you send us out of this place, help us be mindful of encountering folks that are, are different than we are and offering them a seat at your table like we've seen you do in the scripture. God, help us to be the people that you've created us to be, and we thank you, God, 
for loving us and for gifting us for the work that you call us to do. We pray this in Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.